Hey, welcome to, welcome to Easter at Flatirons. Everybody welcome all our campuses together. Hey, everybody say hi to our brothers down at Lyman and all those, uh, yeah, hey guys, all right. Ah, it's so good to have you here. Uh, COVID is over, look around. <laughs> we won. Uh, so, um, we're really glad that you're, you're here. Uh, hey, before we even get into this, I just wanna take a time out and speak to all of our campuses. Over the last several weeks and every, months, sorry, a lot of uh, staff, but a lot of volunteers, hundreds of volunteers, thousands of hours have gone into making this weekend special for you. Will you just appreciate our volunteer pool right now? Give it up for them. It's so, it's so good. Oh, so good, so good. Yeah, so we, we always pull out all the stops at Christmas and Easter, and, and so like, like, like we vacuumed and stuff like that. We put a lot of effort into it, and like uh, I went shopping, um, new sweater, Lululemon. I had to mortgage my house for the shirt. That's uh, crazy. <laughs> but anyway, my wife picked it out. But anyway, uh, and, I, and then to get really, like, I went to the dentist to get ready for this. I, every five years, I get them cleaned. It's time, and I got a lot of shame around that. But I'm at, so really, I'm at, I'm at the dentist the other day, and, and he's examining my teeth, and, and I always have a lot of shame around that because it's just, it's my life story. He goes, like, what happened here? He goes, um, I said, uh, I jumped off my house, knocked out my front two teeth. He went, okay, what happened here? I went, roller skate to the face. I went, okay, all right. And so we just kind of went through my dental history, and I'm just thinking to myself, I had this aha moment. And it goes like this. I, I realized that when I was a kid, I was kind of stupid, right? And it's, it's politically incorrect to say stupid, but well, stick around, it gets worse. But anyway, how about this? Um, I didn't always think things through. All right, And I know that because one of the most common things my parents said to me when I was a kid was, what were you thinking? And my response is always the same. I don't know. All right? Like, I, I, like, like when I was a kid, I loved to play Cowboy and Indian. All right? And I know that's politically incorrect. Pray through it. You'll be fine. But I used to play that when I was a kid. And, and, and I, I was always the Indian. And my friend across the street, Bill Godby, he was always the cowboy. And I remember one summer, we were getting ready to play Cowboy and Indian. And so I had it down. So I'd take my sister's jump rope and I would tie it to the handlebars. And it was my trusty steed. I could guide. Anybody else do that? Me, me, me. All right. Anyway, all right. and so I, that was my trusty steed. And then I went in the house and got my mom's lipstick and I put on my war paint. I got spanked for that later. Again, she got spanked? Yes, I did. I'm okay. All right, but, uh, but every warrior needs a weapon, all right? So I'm looking for a tomahawk. So I go into the garage and I'm looking around for a tomahawk and I see my dad's hammer. I went, this, this could work, all right? But then I turn around and I see the holy grail of weapons. I, like, I Do y'all remember this? It's called a yard dart. Most of you have never seen this before because they're illegal, all right? Because, because in 1988, 3,100 kids went to the hospital because of these, and so they, they, they recall them all. But I had one, all right? And so I thought, this will be perfect, all right? So I stick my, my tomahawk in my belt. I get on my trusty steed, and I'm, I'm going towards Bill, and he's in his, his fort down there, like, like it's lawn chairs on their sides, all right? And, and, I'm, and I'm coming in, and he's shooting his imaginary gun, and he's missing because I'm Brave Eagle, and I'm invincible. And so anyway, so I, so I reach in, all right, I reach in, and I get my tomahawk, and I, woo, let it go. Time out. Have you ever had one of those moments <laughs> where as soon as you do something, you go, that's not going to go well, right? Because this thing took off like a Scud missile going right at Bill's head. And I'm like, oh no, I didn't know the poop word yet. I'm a pastor's kid. All right. I learned it later. But anyway, and Bill looks back at me and goes, oh no. And at the last second he ducks and it sticks in the fence beside him. And it's total quiet, all right? And then Bill starts crying. He's like, Jimmy, how could you? I'm like, I'm not Jimmy, I'm Brave Eagle. And then Bill goes home and he narks on me and my dad comes out and goes, Jim, what were you thinking? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm dumb. I don't, I don't know, right? Like another, another time, uh, my whole family was in the living room watching TV and they all heard this boom, 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 boom on the roof. And then they looked out the picture window just in time to see me go buy it, right? And then, ah, 
and they walk outside, and I'm like, they're going, ah, ah. My mom goes, what happened? I went, um, I wanted to see if I could jump off the house. I did it. <laughs> and then my mom's like, what are you thinking? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Here's, I'll give you one more. Right? When I was six years old, my dad was a pastor, and my parents went to this church conference up in Canada. We lived in Indiana, and so we drove up there, and along the way, we stopped at Niagara Falls, right? Now, mind you, this is the 60s. There's no safety codes, right? I didn't grow up with airbags and, and car seats. I didn't have that. I spent my whole life sitting on a suitcase in the front seat to see over the metal dashboard, right? I took naps in the back window. Anybody else remember those days? It's a miracle we're alive, all right? And then at Niagara Falls, they didn't have safety codes. They didn't have fences. They had this little bitty wall, but it was just high enough to block a six-year-old's view. So when my parents aren't watching, I just climb over that wall, and that's the wall, because I want to look at Niagara Falls, and by that, I want to look down at Niagara Falls. And so I climb all the way out there to that rock. And my parents, they turn around, but they can't yell at me, because I'll go like, whoop, and then I'll die, right? So they're like, come to us, come to us. I'm like, okay. And I walk back to him. I'm like, what? And they're like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just stupid. All right. Right now, now looking back, honestly, I can see how some of those decisions probably weren't wise. But in that moment, I wasn't really thinking. I really wasn't thinking about the consequences about what might happen if it goes bad. I just did it. Why? I don't know. So, so why did I tell you all those dumb stories? And it's very simple, because I think we can all look back at stories in our life like that and go, well, well kids will be kids, all right? But the truth is, I think a lot of us, and I, I can't speak for you, so I'll just speak for myself, and you can see if it applies to you. I look back at a lot of the choices and decisions that I have made in my life, and in the rearview mirror, if I'm honest, in those moments, um, I knew this is probably not a good move. And later, as I looked in the mirror after it went south, I, I remember looking at, at the reflection coming back to me in the mirror and thinking, like, what were you thinking, dude? But I wasn't thinking. Or if I was thinking, I thought, this is no big deal, right? This is, this is no big thing. I probably won't get caught. There probably won't be any consequences. I'll be fine. But for some of them, I did get caught. And there are consequences from way back then that I'm still feeling today. Anybody else? One, one, one decision... A thousand consequences. Anybody else have any of those going on in their life? A few of us, right? But, but none of that is new information. Like, we all knew that coming in here today. We all show up every, everywhere with a long list of what was I thinking, mistakes, regrets, and shameful moments. And if we could, this is great, if we could, if we got a do-over, wouldn't that be great? Ho hopefully we would think differently. We would, we would choose differently. That would be so nice. It's not possible, but how cool would it be if God gave us a magic, like, no consequence do-over button to push, and we got our 20s back, or we got college back, or we got our first whatever back that, that fell apart. But it doesn't exist. But you know what does exist? Especially if you pile up enough of those what-was-I-thinking decisions, Definition. By definition, I mean this, identity. Because after a while, it's just human nature. We all have this in common. If I pile up enough of those, we land in this place. What I have done is who I am. My past defines me. My past dictates and determines my future. It's who I am because it's what I've done. And that, by definition, is called condemnation. This is who you are. This is what you've done. This is what you're worth. This is how it will always be. Happy Easter. This is so depressing, right? Right. So glad you brought us to church today. Thanks a lot, right? Except, except, all right, so it gets better. We started today with a few questions. What do you want for yourself? I mean, there's a lot of people that tell you what you need to want. What do you want for you? 
And, and what would you know is true and possible about you if you had that thing that you want? And what's standing in the way of you having it? That's what I wanna look at today. So let's take a stab at a few of these questions. What do you want for you, right? And I'm here, how about this? You want to know that you're enough. You want to know you're good enough. As a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a friend, as a son, as a daughter, as a, as a leader, am I good enough? And how do I know? How about this? What would you know is true about you if you believe that you were enough? I'll take a stab at this. You finally have a, bit of, a little bit of confidence. You wouldn't live in fear and worry. You wouldn't carry around guilt and shame and insecurity. You wouldn't live every day trying to prove to everybody in your life, but especially to yourself, I am enough, I am enough, I'm good enough. So what's standing in the way of you already having that? And don't say nothing, I should just go get it. It's not true. Because if that were true, you'd already have it. You'd already know. So why don't you already have it? Why don't you know what's true about you? And I'm gonna throw this out here because you've got voices going on. Voices from other people in your past and in your present, but more than anything, you got some voices in your own head. And I'm not talking about the ones I'm on 72 milligrams a day for, That's, those are different voices, but uh, <laughs> you got tapes playing in your head. And they ask you all the time, so what were you thinking? You failed, you made a mistake, you screwed up. And on top of that, kind of playing in the background, don't forget this, you got left, you got abandoned, you were abused, you got cheated on, you cheated on the one person you said you'd love forever. You got sick, you didn't get picked, you got depressed, you got, you got fired, you got arrested, you got busted, you got addicted, you got caught. What kind of person does that make you? Here's the answer, not enough, not enough. And those tapes play in your head long enough, it is called, it's my identity, and it's an identity that lives in condemnation. And that's where a lot of us live. So my question is, is it possible for that to change? And what would it take for that to change for you? And let me give you the good news and the bad news. The good news is yes, the bad news is, it's not gonna be easy and it's not gonna be instant. It took a while for us to screw up our lives, it's gonna take a few minutes to unscrew them. That should be in the Bible, all right? So, it's not, but it, anyway, so here's what I mean. In order for your identity to change and your condemnation to be lifted and removed, somebody, not you, somebody else is gonna have to do something so risky, so dangerous, so never been done for someone like you before to, to get that condemnation off of you. And, and who would do that? And you know what I'm gonna say, because it's Easter. I'm gonna say it's Jesus. And that's the, right, that's the right answer, right? But we have to ask Jesus a question. Why would he do that for you? Why would you do that for someone like you or, or me? How about this? Hey, Jesus, what are you thinking? And Jesus' answer will not be, I don't know. No, his answer will be, you wanna, you wanna know what I did for you and why I did it for you? What I, what I was thinking? How about this? It's all through the Bible. In John three sixteen, Jesus said it. I did it because God so loved the world. We just sang that. In Romans chapter five, a guy named Paul says that Jesus did it to demonstrate God's own love for us. And it goes on to say this, he, he, he died for us while we were still sinners. As a matter of fact, if he didn't do it while I was still a sinner, if he was waiting on me to stop sinning in order to die for me, he wouldn't have died for me because he'd still be waiting. Right, I'm still a mess. In Philippians, Paul says this, he did it, he, he was thinking, for this, this is why I did it, to the glory of God the Father. In other words, I want to show you the kind of God that you still have. See, this is what Easter is all about. Easter is the universe declaring, my God, how great thou art. There's none like you. No one would do what you have done. 
Easter is all about what kind of God that we have. We have a God who created you in his image to be like him, to live with him, to rule with him, to love with him, to provide and protect everyone in your life with him by your side. And every time God says, I want to live life with you, our response is butt out and leave me alone. God, don't don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what I can do. Don't tell me what I can't do. I'm going to run my own life. And we did it. And we ran it right into the ground. And the wages, the consequences of rejecting God is death and condemnation and separation from him. And rightly so. And that's where we would be stuck. That's what would have happened to us if God loves us like everybody else loves us. With conditions and ifs. And as long as you do this, as long as you don't do that, but God changes everything. But God is different. See, God, this is, why you, this is why you're listening to this right now, right? I need to remind you, God doesn't hate you. He loves you. God looks at you and his love is bigger than any of your, what was I thinking, screw up mistakes. Let's just call it what it is. His love is bigger than your sin. God said to do that, I did something else. That's all we're talking about here. How about this? We talked about this last week. God's grace is greater than your disgrace. And your sin, you don't, I'm gonna tell you the truth. You're not gonna believe it, but it's still true. Your sin has not caused God to love you one ounce less than if you had never sinned at all. He loves you. But God also knows that everything that's happened to you in your life that you've done or that has been done to you has changed your identity and you're holding on to a lie now and your sins and mistakes have condemned you and separated you from God now and condemned you to hell later. So he stepped in and he says, you have a problem. I can fix that. I'll fix it for you. I will pay for you myself. The Bible word is, I will redeem you. I will pay for what you have done. I'll buy you out of your condemnation at my own expense. He sent Jesus to us. God put flesh on and became one of us and said, if the wage of your sin is death and the loss of your identity, then I'll pay it myself and I'll give you a new life. I'll give you a new identity. He's not gonna give us a second chance. I don't need a second chance. I need a whole new life from above. I need a new name. I need to be called a new creation. I need to be a new person, the person I was created to be. And Jesus says it's still possible. All that to say this, what was Jesus thinking? The answer is in order to show you what kind of God that you still have today and what he has done and what he is willing to do to have you back in his life. He wants you back in his life. Jesus says, I'm gonna do the never been done before. Watch this. So that's what I wanna look at in our time this this Easter morning, all right? I wanna look at that never been done before event because I think that too often we rush past what happened that day on the cross and the hardest part about it And I don't think the hardest part about it is the nails and the beatings. I mean, that was bad. That's not the the toughest part. I think something much worse is going on. A lot scarier is going on that day. A lot riskier. So so look at this. We're going to pick up the story on the night that Jesus is about to be arrested. So it's Thursday night. uh, and He's going to be executed on Friday, raised from the dead on Sunday. But Thursday night, he's going to be hauled off to court. And all these trials are going to go on all night long. And then the next morning, they're going to nail him to a cross. But before that happens... Jesus has a few of his friends outside of Jerusalem in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. It looks kind of like this. I'm going there next week. I'm so pumped. Anyway, so we're, we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's nighttime. Soldiers are on the way. Pick up the story. It says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. This is what he says to his friends. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep, keep watch. Now, this is, a, this is a part of Jesus. This is a picture of Jesus. We don't like to think about this, right? And I haven't heard many people like me 
teach on this picture of Jesus. Because in this picture, Jesus is deeply distressed and troubled. I'll just quote Jesus, how he was feeling that night. He said this, my soul, my heart, like my, 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 my innermost being, it's overwhelmed. It's like being crushed with what? With sorrow, how much? I feel like I'm gonna die right here in the garden. Ever felt like that? One writer, a guy named Luke, who's a doctor, who wrote the book of Luke, in his account of this night, he says that Jesus was so stressed out that night that the blood vessels in his forehead burst and the sweat ran down his face like, like drops of blood. That is the picture of total overwhelming stress and depression. Have you been there? Have you been curled up in that ball before? Because Jesus has. And, and, and why was he so stressed out? And here's what I don't think the answer is. I don't think it's the, it's, it's the, the physical stuff. I mean, he knows that he's about to be arrested and beaten and stripped naked, spit upon, whipped, marched to the streets naked, and then nailed to a cross. And I am not minimizing what's about to happen to him physically. It's gonna be horrible. But I don't think that the, the next 18 hours is what puts him in a heap on the ground in the dirt in the garden that night. And again, I'm not minimizing the pain that's on the way, but the truth is, and Jesus knew this, lots of people got nailed to crosses back then. Since Jesus was born all the way up to this moment, he'd seen thousands of people nailed to crosses. A lot of brave people went to crosses back then because of their personal convictions. I'm not gonna bow to Caesar. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call him God. And the Romans nailed you to a cross. Even the writer Paul says this in the book of Romans. He says that some people will willingly lay down their lives for a good person or a good cause. I would. There's some people in my life that I would lay down my life. It's none of you, but there are some people. <laughs> like it's my wife and my kids and my grandkids. Like I wouldn't miss a beat. Of course I would die for them. But, but I think something else is going on. Something more is going on with Jesus. Something that he has never experienced ever. And he predates history. So what Jesus is facing is totally unknown to him. So I'm, I'm gonna blow up some of your theology, but just pray through this. You're, you're gonna be all fine, fine, all right? Here's what Jesus is facing that night. The Bible says that when Jesus is on that cross the next day, God took all of the sin of all people of all time, all the sin back then and all the sin in this room, all right? And, and the, the Bible has imputed it. He pressed it. He laid it onto Jesus. So Jesus just didn't die because of our sin. He didn't just die for our sin. Ready? When he was on the cross, he was my sin. Everything that we have done wrong, he, God blamed Jesus for it, put it all on him. And if the wage of sin is death and separation from God, when Jesus dies on that, on that cross carrying the sin, my sin, for the first time ever, Jesus will be separated from God. And he's never experienced that before. But God and sin cannot be in the same place. And here's the thing, while Jesus has raised people from the dead over the last three years, when you're dead, you can't raise yourself because you're dead. So Jesus is about to die as your sin and my sin, right, as a sinner. And if God doesn't raise Jesus like he promises to do, then Jesus is just gonna stay dead. He's a good teacher and a martyr for a great cause. And if God doesn't raise Jesus from the dead like he promises to do, then we have no assurance that what Jesus did on that cross did anything, right, that it was supposed to do. Nor can we really count on God to keep his promise for us today. If he's not gonna keep that promise, why can I, can I, I can't count on him today. Who knows what he's gonna do? So, he, so here's Jesus in this garden. He's facing death and separation from God. And th so work through this, all right? And in that garden, Jesus believes. He has faith. 
He has confidence that God will keep his promise and reach into, de into death and resurrect Jesus from, from the dead. He has faith, but he doesn't know because it hasn't happened yet. And so he's standing on the edge of a cliff like the abyss called death, wrestling with what comes next. That's why he's on a heap. So let's pick it up. Going a little bit further, he's all by himself now. He fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father. And Abba is an Aramaic word, which is the language back then. It means dad. It's an intimate word. Dad, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. We've got an ask here. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, time out. I am not saying that Jesus thought about not dying for our sin. And I'm not saying that God forced Jesus to do something he didn't want to do. But Jesus had a choice that night. Because what Jesus just said is this. Father, if there's any other way to accomplish the demonstration of your love for us, the forgiveness of sins and the restoration, and maybe he looked down through history, the restoration of Jim, Robin, Ben, Nate, put your name in there. If that's the only way to get you all back together, if there's any other way to do that, that doesn't involve me being forsaken and separated from you, even for just three days, I'm just asking, could we look at it? Is there another way? But if this is the only way, if this is your will, I'll go. I choose your will. I choose to trust that you will not abandon me to the grave. So if that's it, let's go. And he has that conversation with his father, not once, but three times. And the, the answer came back, there is no other way. So when Jesus is hanging on that cross the next day and he utters those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows the answer. He knows the answer because normally when Jesus talks to God, he addresses him as Abba, dad, father. But this time God is sitting in the seat of judge, not father. And Jesus may still be his son, but Jesus is my sin and your sin in that moment. And as he dies and pays for my sin and your sin, he fulfills the wage, all right? He changes his prayer with his dying breath to father. Into, my, into your hands, I commit me, my spirit. It is finished and he dies. And at that moment, it's like the ultimate trust fall. He jumps into that abyss called death, the unknown. And if God doesn't reach in and catch him and rescue him and resurrect him, he's just staying dead. He's not coming back. But God, but God did keep his word that day. And sin died with Jesus that day. And condemnation died with Jesus that day. And the lies that you are hanging on to that aren't true about you, they died with Jesus that day. And they stayed dead. And God reached into the grave and he resurrected his son Jesus on the third day, just like he promised he would do. And in the same way, I gotta tell you this, God will keep his promise to you to do the same for you if you'll take one leap of faith, not into an abyss called death and condemnation, but a step of faith to trust Jesus to do what you cannot do for yourself. You cannot remove your own condemnation. You can try to build your own new identity, but you, you can't do it by yourself. It's the one thing you can't do by yourself. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can give you a new identity and a new life. And, and, and here's what I mean, all right? You can't do it by yourself. I want you to picture this, all right? So this is uh, Grand Canyon, okay? So, so you're on this side, and God is way over there, okay? Now, time out. I know God is everywhere. I'm talking about intimacy with God, right? Like, like you, you've felt that before. Like, like, I want to be in a relationship with God, but he's a million miles away, all right? And between you is this big canyon, this big chasm, all right? And let's let all this space between you and God represent Everything you've ever done wrong in your life. You've done wrong to other people. You've done wrong to yourself. But ultimately, all sin is against God. And it separates us from an intimate relationship with God that God wants to have with us and we need to have with him. Time out. Your sin doesn't cause God to ever stop loving you. It just keeps you from being with him. 
living with him in intimacy in this life. Now, some of us approach this, this, this separation from God in a lot of different ways. Some of us, you're sitting here right now going, um, listen, I'm not that bad. I'm not a bad person, at least compared to a lot of people like her, right, right, right? I'm, I'm just, don't point, I, I'm, I'm not that bad. So here's our plan. I, I, I plan on trying to do more good things than bad things. You know, here, here's, here's, I've heard this a million times. I'm just trying to be a good person. And I hope that in the end, that's good enough to get me in. But again, how do you know? And who are you comparing yourself to? So let's, let's picture all your, I'm trying to be a good person efforts as, as your jump. You're gonna try to jump, all right? So on your best day and your best version of you, I'm a really, I, did, I had a great day today. That's your best day ever. And that's your attempt to get to God. Where do you, where do you land? In the bottom, it's too far. So I did some research on this. The current world record long jump is held by a guy named Michael Powell. It's 29 feet, four inches. It's just crazy, all right? No human being has jumped further than that. But you're sitting here going, I can. It's not true, but you guys. So, so, so you practice and you train 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 and you stretch out. You got a coach and everything. And now it's your moment and you, and you take off and you break a world record. You jump further than any person has ever jumped in the history of jumping. You go 30 feet, 40 feet, 50 feet, whatever that is, okay? Where do you land? In the river. It's too far. So let's say, let's, let's switch it a little bit. Let's say that, that you're counting on doing things for God, kind of working your way into heaven, and he'll look at you and go, man, you did a lot. You should come and live with me. So let's, let's, talk, let's think about the most spiritual people. Um, Billy Graham, okay, most famous preacher of all time. He's preached to billions of people. There will be millions of people in heaven because he told them about, about Jesus. So Billy Graham, everything good he's done for God, that's his attempt to, to get to God. And so he takes off, boom, where does he land? In the river. Uh, another good person, Mother Teresa. She's better than any of you, all right, us, all right? So she's a really, like she takes care of the poor and the orphan and, and, and the leper and, and she spent her whole life taking care of people that nobody else cared about. So let's say little Mother Teresa of Calcutta, everything good that she's done for God, she's counting on that to get her into heaven and so she takes off. Where does she land? In the bottom, it's too far. Um, so I'm getting on a plane tomorrow and I'm flying to Rome, going to the, the Holy Land, it's really great. So listen, that made me think of this, the Pope. Like half the world thinks he's the most holy person in, in the world. Whether you believe that or not, he's probably a really good, good dude. So let's say the Pope says, okay, I'm gonna, try to, I'm gonna try to jump to God. I'm gonna really, I'm gonna memorize the Bible. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do all this great religious stuff. So the Pope, he takes up and he takes off and he gets some wind up under the robes, right? And he's got a pointy hat, so he's aerodynamic and he's really going and I just lost all the Catholics. Anyway, anyway um, you're fine. He lands in the river. You're all right, I promise. Um, Let's get really spiritual, okay? Pastor Jim gets up here and he takes a big jump. <laughs> no, yeah. That reminds me, did anybody else used to like build bike ramps and try to jump over crap? Like I tried to be evil Knievel and jump the Snake Canyon and my foot would come off the pedal and uh, it's bad. Uh, I digress. Anyway, it's too far. It's too far. No one can do it. Let me put that in Bible terms. All have sinned and fall short and land in the river. See, our, our only hope is that God would come our direction. 
and do for us what we can never do for ourselves. Bridge the gap that we can never bridge for ourselves. This is what Jesus was thinking on that night that he was arrested. This is what Jesus was thinking about when he's hanging on the cross. This is what Jesus did when he jumped into that abyss. This is what God did when he raised him from the dead. He made a way possible, the only way for us to be with God, and that is by putting our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, and then backing up that that, that it works by raising him from the dead. They can keep every promise. And when you put your faith in what Jesus did for you on that cross, the gap is bridged and nothing will ever separate you from God ever, ever again. But what if I mess up? You will. It will not separate you from God. If you're not following me, Jesus is the bridge. The cross is the bridge that connects you to God. You've got to believe this. Jesus brings you from darkness to light, from death to life, from condemnation to grace, from separation to to intimacy, from hell to heaven, to, to be with God. So I beg you on this Easter, put your faith in Jesus and be saved. He will forgive everything. He will he'll join you to God. Amen. Do you believe that? Now, You can do that. You just have to have a conversation with him. And nobody can do it for you. Your priest can't do it for you. Your mom can't do it for you. You have to have your conversation with God that says, I feel a million miles away from you, God. I know what I deserve, but I don't want what I deserve. I want to be with you. Will you forgive me? Will you let that cross count for me? And Jesus won't say, I don't know. He'll say, that's why I did it for you. Come and be with me. Now that that bridge is a metaphor. You can't go to your accordance and go, there's bridge? Where's the bridge story? It's not in there. It's a a parable. It's a physical representation of something that's actually happening in the spiritual realm. See, see, God knows. Here's why we did this today. God knows that we learn and remember best when we have tangible, experiential markers to remind us of deeper spiritual truths. It's all through the Bible. Next weekend, uh, if you come back, please come back. We're gonna celebrate communion. We're gonna take bread and we're gonna take juice and remember the body and the blood of Christ that, that, that purchased us, that built that bridge. I have a ring on my finger. It doesn't make me married. It reminds me I'm in a covenant relationship with Robin. And today we have this thing called baptism. And I can't think of a better picture of Easter because when Jesus Jesus died with my sin, he was buried in a tomb for three days. But, But God reached into that and he pulled Jesus out of that grave. He left his sin down there. And Jesus was given a new name. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. All right, so I love, all, I, I love all of our worship songs, but there's this one line, we sang it earlier. It goes like this. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. His buried body began to breathe. And that one just hits me every time. Because here, here's how I think, all right? This isn't the Bible, this is just how I think. I'm just thinking, I, I'm wondering if when we get to heaven, God has a video room. Just go with me, all right, right? And, and like, I can say, hey, I'd like to see what happened there, right? And you know what? Like, hey, I wanna see creation because I don't get it, all right? And I'd love to see the Noah's Ark and two animals, really, God, that really, all right? And then he rolls tape, but, but you know what? I, that's not really what I wanna see. You know what I wanna see? Hey, G, hey, hey, God, will you roll tape of the tomb? I wanna see it. I wanna see Jesus' dead body laying there on, on a piece of stone for three days and the, and the demons are laughing and the angels are like, we've never seen this before. And on the third day, Jesus is laying there and then all at once, <gasps> because that saved my life. And it can save yours. 
because it's proof that he is who he says he is and he can take away sin and he can, he can join you back with your father. It's what you need. It's what we've wanted but dared not even hope for. So baptism is a picture of that. So a bunch of people get baptized. I'll explain that in a minute. But here's what I want you to watch on the screens or if you're up front or watching is that they're gonna be buried and they're gonna be crucified with Christ. And then a moment's gonna come when they come up out of that water and they're gonna go, <gasps> and it's the first day of the rest of their life of eternity. And that might be you today. So let me explain baptism around here. So some of you are going, this is the first time I've ever been here. Let me just say, welcome home. We've been waiting for you. Jesus has been waiting for you. Let this be your church. Well, I, I was baptized as a baby. That's awesome. That meant your parents pledged to point you towards Jesus. I'm not dissing anybody's heritage, all right? But Jesus taught that there comes a time in your life when you believe and you have to make a decision for you. What do you want for yourself? And if the answer is, I want Jesus, then come and be baptized. Be joined with him in baptism and in resurrection. And you can do that. Some of you are going, well, I didn't come prepared. Uh, what, what are you supposed to wear when you get baptized? You're wearing it. Like, this is my, my new Easter dress. It's, it's, it's washable, I hope. Anyway, uh, and here's that. Well, it's really cold outside. If I get wet, I might get sick and you might die. And you'll go to heaven. You're saved. <laughs> I use that joke every baptism. I'm always going to do it. It's, it's, you know. it's, yeah, you'll, you'll be fine. Well, who would baptize me? Well, I got staff down here, I got elders down here, I got volunteers down here, but you know who probably would be honored to baptize you? The person sitting next to you who brought you here, who loves you and has been praying for you for a long time. And you could look over and go, will you do that with me, for me? Over this past week, we've seen entire families get in here together. We've seen engaged couples get in here together. We've seen little kids get in here together. We've seen parents baptize their children. We've seen children baptize their parents. We've seen really, 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 really old people be lifted into the waters because it's not too late for anyone. It's not too late for anyone. So if you wanna be baptized, all of our campuses, we're, we're doing it different ways. When you came into Lafayette, there was a card there on, on, your, on your seat. We just want some information so we can walk through some of this with you. If you have questions, you'd like to follow up, we're not gonna spam you or anything. Uh, when, when I, I'm gonna pray here in a minute and then here at Lafayette, just make your way to the outside walls and then we'll walk you through every step of the way. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for anybody. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. There's more to come. At our different campuses, they're, they're gonna tell you what to do. Down, down, down at, uh, at Lyman Prison, you talk to your chaplain, he'll, he'll tell you what you, that you need to do. If you're watching on our Pando app across the country, you go to your chaplain, they'll baptize you. Today's your day. So, I asked this question a minute ago, what is it that you want for yourself? And I bet the answer is, I want, I need something to change for the better this time. And I don't know you, I don't know your life, and I don't know what change will entail, but I do know that nothing will really change on the level that really needs to change until you take the most important first step towards Jesus. So right now, put yourself on the edge of the cliff. And you're on one side and everything that God wants for you and created you to be is on the other side. So maybe today is the day that you take that step of faith towards Jesus, and what he has done for you. And if that's you, then you come and be baptized. And all of our campuses, let's stand up together. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna worship. And some of us are gonna, we came in here not having any expectation of this and we just had a but God moment. And he's gonna change your life forever. So God, in this moment, we are having a lot of conversations 
with ourselves, with, with, with you, and we wanna be with you, but then we realize what we've done and we've been living under this condemnation. It's all that we know. But God, I just ask you to whisper into our hearts right now what is true and replace the lie that's in our head about who we are and what we're worth. You said we were worth dying for. You said you wanted to live with us forever. That's gotta mean something. And I can't think of a better way to celebrate Easter than joining our lives with you. So on this Easter Sunday morning, we worship you, the risen Savior, our risen Lord, who has open arms and wants us back. So we come to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.